This morning's scripture reading is taken from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17 to 24. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of this is called uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a slave when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself to the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a slave is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a slave of Christ. You were brought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. This is God's word. So, you're here this morning for part two in a two-part series on God's calling from this little passage, which is really almost an aside from the Apostle Paul and his first letter to the Corinthians. Last week, we started out with important questions we put before God, or at least put before some benevolent divine being that we hope is out there, listening to us asking these questions. Where do you want me? Where do you want me? What should I do with my life? And with whom should I do it? And I identified these questions as those of what we call secondary calling, uh, which you kind of hear in this passage, right? But we also have God's primary calling, which you also hear at least implicitly in this passage. And that is a calling, God's primary calling is a calling to himself, a calling to a relationship with him through trusting in Jesus Christ and to a lifelong remodeling project, all right, in which the character of our lives increasingly looks more like the character of Jesus. That's his primary calling. And what we concluded as we looked at the sort of who example of circumcision versus non-circumcision and the what example of slave versus free was this, is what we concluded, that when it comes to calling the biblical, God speaking to you, default is to remain. Where you are, doing what you're doing, doing it with those whom you're already with, but now to glorify Jesus and to show off his love. And then we talked about at the end, why does God through Paul advocate remaining? especially when the the inner being of a person has radically changed through Christ. And we concluded that it's because with each shift in place, in in job, in people, usually comes also a shift in hope. Because we think that a shift in these other things, places, jobs, people, will finally give me the satisfaction, finally give me the happiness, the contentment I've been looking for. But it never does. It never does. And with each shift, then, our hope gets further and further away from the true center of our lives, 
Jesus Christ. So having looked last week at this idea of remaining and assuming you haven't given your two weeks notice, booked a plane ticket, and this isn't your goodbye Sunday, right? Of course, it would be really awkward later if it is, but we assume it's not, all right? I think we're going to clear this week. We're going to examine this passage this morning in terms of God's day-to-day calling when we do remain. And how walking in that will likely be the determining factor in knowing when those who, what, where shifts are needed. So whereas last week we looked at all the verses in this passage, also this week we're going to zero in on just two key verses and addressing what I'm naming the daily call. So let's look at this. First in verse 19, as Rob read earlier, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. We remember, remember last week, and you can go back and listen if you like, we remember that neither national nor social allegiances account for much in God's eyes. And these were the arenas of life that, that the questions of, of circumcision versus uncircumcision sort of addressed and represented for a person who trusted life to Jesus. It was a matter of national and social allegiance, whether they stayed circumcised or got circumcised or whether they stayed uncircumcised. Or and Paul says, instead, what counts is keeping the commandments of God. Now let's, let's bring that funky track back, if you will, all right? Let's, let's rewind that. Are you saying what counts in life is our performance in obeying God? Does that sound strange to anyone else? If so, it, it should. I've been trying to preach about it for two years. It, it's a problem. If, if you're thinking that your performance for God is what matters... Now, just a letter or two earlier, Paul writes to a different church. It says this, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. You see that? Same setup, right? Same beginning. Whether you have this sign, external sign, or don't have, it doesn't count for anything. But only faith working itself through love. Galatians 5, 6. With essentially the identical beginnings to both, Paul gives radically different conclusions. You see that? Now what gives there? What gives is this. Unlike in Galatians, Paul here is addressing both primary and secondary calling. So earlier to the Corinthians, he has already told them that faith in Jesus matters most, but now also... He's reminding them because they're talking about matters of what you do and where you are, who you're with. What you do in life matters. What you do in life does matter. And how you respond to God's calling to you in a relationship with him matters. Just not necessarily the way we think it does. We think, when it comes to these questions, well, man, God has loved me so much. He's loved me so much through Jesus Christ that he forgives my past, my present, and my future rebellion just by trusting Jesus. And now, God, okay, 
I will go to the ends of the earth. I'll humiliate myself for a living, you know, or or at least bring my lunch to work, right? I I will go to people who don't have adequate cell phone plans for you, (laughs) right? Let's do this. And what counts, God is saying, is responding to my love with obedience, wherever you are, whomever you're with. Even the passage from Galatians actually supports this idea. If we look at it more closely, look, what counts is faith, but that faith daily works itself out through love. Works itself out through love. How do you daily show your love for God? By obeying his commands. Jesus said, anyone who has my commands and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. Okay, but there are a lot of commands, right? So this is God's daily call in my life. There are lots of commands. If you read the Bible, quite a few. Can you boil it down, Lord? Just boil it down to what you're calling me to today. And guess what he does? There's another church that Paul was writing to about the same time he was writing to the Corinthians. That's the church at a place called Thessalonica. And this church... They had heard God's primary call in their lives and trusted Jesus. So they're in a relationship with God, but they didn't really know how to respond on a daily level because they had also heard that Jesus would be returning at any moment. He's going to return any moment. Now this is, you know, 50, 60 A.D., okay? So, you know, it didn't happen. But they believed it was going to happen and blessed their hearts. I mean, they believed it to the core all of who they were, to the point where so deeply that they're, they concluded that there wasn't much sense in working. They might as well just kind of, you know, just sit back, wait for Jesus, and enjoy the fireworks, all right, when he comes back. That was their plan. And Paul responds by saying, look, with each passing moment, whether it's tomorrow, two days from now, with each passing moment, God has some things he wants to do in you now. It's something you are to do now. Here's what he says about God's call. First, what he's doing, what God is doing. He's making you a little more like Jesus with each passing moment, as we mentioned earlier. That makeover project he's doing on you. He tells them and then tells them again in one long Pauline sentence, this, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Which is just a Sanctification is basically a fancy word for one's life and character looking increasingly like the person and holy character of Jesus. And then he concludes this sentence saying, For God has not called us for impurity, but to holiness. Sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. He has called us to this. But it's not like this is totally and fatalistically up to God. We are to do something. What are you to do? Paul says, this is pretty amazing. You want to know God's will for your life? Here it is. God's will for your life. That's a big time. What is it? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Not necessarily what we expected. This is it. You've been waiting for the drum roll. Where am I going? What am I going to do? We're going to come back to this a bit later, all right? But what we're going to see just now 
is that as you faithfully respond to God's love in this mundane daily will for your life, he'll start to show you the who, what, and where stuff as well. Some of you might be familiar with this verse. Proverbs 16.3, which says, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. All right, now somebody encouraged me to memorize this when I was like 17 or 18 years old. All right, I just kind of recently become a Christian within the previous couple years, and, you know, I can never really apply this verse. It sounded nice. Only in the last few years have I really begun to grasp what this means. And I think a helpful way to understand it is to actually flip this verse on its head, because I think, I believe, we think this is how it should read, which is this. We think... Commit to the Lord your plans, and your deeds will succeed. Right? Commit to the Lord your plans, and the results of your life will succeed. In other words, God, if you tell me to go somewhere and do something, everything else will fall into place. Everything will start to make sense. That's kind of what we think, isn't it? I was speaking to someone even this past week who was describing just how God sort of urged them, dare I say, called them, here to Cayman, but they were amazed how hard things have been and how much was going wrong. And we've all been there before, right? Okay, I'm here, God, I'm doing what you want. What would fall into place? The results would succeed. Well, we are prone to move. We're prone to move from the big to the little. Right? If I have the big picture stuff taken care of, the little stuff will take care of itself. But Solomon saying, look, Start with the small. You'll usually get the big stuff thrown in. Start with the everyday, and the big stuff will start to make sense. He's saying as you live God's daily will and commit each action to his glory, the right plans will start to unfold in your life, and you end up finding yourself in God's will and remarkably sensitive to his urgings. Even though Jesus himself is clear that he'll give us much when we're faithful with just a little, we assume he'll start with really what's too much for us. Am I right? Give me the big thing. Tell me where I need to be, God. And when I do it, and then it will make sense. That's not how it works. Let me tell you first what this might look like in someone's life, and then I'll explain where I'm heading. First, what this looks like in someone's life, uh, my pastoral gig that I had before this one, I was working with this postgraduate student who was inching his way through pharmacy school, okay, as he worked in a pharmacy. And he shared with me sort of in a group, a Bible study setting, how he was seeking God's calling for what to do with his life as he was now contemplating whether God was calling him into ministry. And he said this time of seeking God through prayer and, and reading the Word it was truly, it was growing him tremendously. And so I gave him some counsel about discerning God's will, but probably the most important thing I asked him was, when did this time of seeking God so intensely really begin? He said, you know, honestly, man, I've read my Bible here and there, and I pray. But with this seeking of God recently, it's gone to another level. It's, it's affecting my mood. I'm, I'm, I'm steadily more upbeat. Or joyful. 
He said, my conversations with God are building on one another, right? Pray continuously. He said, well, and I'm noticing God's grace a lot more, even in the weird things. And it makes me more grateful. Giving thanks in all circumstances. I mean, it was crazy. And he was naming off the 1 Thessalonians 5 trifecta. I kid you not, in that description of what God was starting to do in him. You had a relationship with God, and you might have a relationship with God. And, and, and if you do, God can speak and draw us to himself, even if we ain't sinking him. But as far as it depended on him, he'd been speak, skipping the most important step. Right? He'd only been seeking after God regularly, followed who he was, when he needed to know what God wanted to do with his life. So I just encouraged him, man, keep seeking him like this. And give it some time. That's the most important ingredient. Give it some time. Plans will begin to unfold. And that's what began to happen. As, as his prayers kept building on one another, he began to turn to God's word. And, and what seemed like a detour, he became convicted about his, his lack of giving. So he started giving uh, sacrificially. He became more diligent at his job because he, he saw the need to give. And so he got promoted. And through that process, God helped him become uh, uh, better about the use of his time and more efficient with it. And as God helped him become more efficient with his time, he, he decided, man, I, I know, see, I see in God's word he's calling me to serve and use my gifts and talents to serve in the church. And so he volunteered to work with middle schoolers. And while working with middle schoolers, he built a relationship with someone he met in that forum. It was an elder in the church. An elder who loved Jesus and taught from God's word. He even went to seminary for a while. But whose job was in construction. And through this process of talking with this man and meeting with him, he realized, man, I, think, I don't think I'm called to ministry or pharmacy. I'm called to both. Here's a man doing this, and I'm watching it unfold in my life. Now think about it, friends. If he had not given himself to God's daily call, it's hard to see I would have seen God's big picture secondary call, right? He was just obeying God in the mundane. And those things unfold. And sure enough, graduated from a pharmacy school and is teaching middle schoolers on a volunteer level to this day. And love it. So where am I going with all this? Look, God's daily call on your life is a simple obedience. And through simple obedience, you make better plans. As those plans start to become clear. All right? Pretty simple idea. Simple obedience. As you do that, plans start to become better because those plans start to become more clear. You're in God's will. But there's a problem. And here's where we're going to land today. That is, that simple obedience doesn't just happen. All right? Just because you're convinced you should become more joyful... Joy doesn't just happen to you. You may resolve to have more consistent prayer, but it doesn't just happen. You may try to be thankful in all circumstances, but have you ever experienced circumstances? Right? I mean, that doesn't just happen. Even still, some of us are convinced that we can do it. It'll just happen. 
for us. And Paul disagrees, which leads us to our other verse this morning. Verse 17, look at that with me if you would. Paul says, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. The main verb of this passage starts with a phrase that we totally take for granted. Starts a phrase we totally take for granted. How often have we said something like, hey man, this is the life I lead, right? Or, or I'll lead my own life. And we, we've said this phrase before without really even thinking about it or meaning it. Paul could easily have said, you know, live the life God has assigned you. But he didn't. Instead, he uses the imperative, controlling verb of this whole passage. This sets the tone for the whole passage, lead. Lead. And the Greek can be translated to walk out or to move forward one's life. Lead one's life. How many of you are dog people? Raise your hand. If you're a dog person, raise your hand. Okay. How many of you are cat people? Okay. A few cat people. How many of you are um, pet rock people? Or fish people? Maybe a fish at best. All right. There's a few of us. That's why we have, that's why I have children. All right. So one of the funnier scenes I witnessed over the holidays was in my neighborhood. A young girl had brought her cat into the front yard, into her front yard, and she was feeding this cat treats, and I realized why. She was attempting to bribe it. All the while, she had a downright foolish scheme. All right, uh, cute girl, foolish scheme. In her other hand was a leash. All right, and from afar, I watched her attempt to saddle this cat <laughs> with a leash. And her mother was there pleading with her, honey, don't do it. After 15 minutes, she did get the leash on, and she tried to lead the cat by a leash, and after five more minutes, she only got five feet. Cats may be many good things. I don't know, you could roll off a number of adjectives, but they're far too independent and undisciplined to be trained or led. There's a reason dogs can be trained to sniff for bombs and drugs. Right? There's a reason for absurd shows where dogs are shorn to humiliation and point their butts in the air for 10,000 people. <laughs> All right? No one in their right mind would do that. A dog can be trained to do it. And there's a reason you never hear of seeing-eye cats. Right? It doesn't happen. So, with that in mind, I pose to you this question. What kind of life are you leading on the other end of your leash? What kind of life are you leading on the other end of your leash? We want to follow God's will. We want to know what it is. What kind of life are you leading on the other end of your leash? Some of us will call it spontaneity, living in the now, carpe diem. But there's a reason you run from a date who says, baby, I just live in the now and do what I want. Carpe diem. <laughs> right? You run from that person. Right? After a first date, you're like, yeah, okay. Live in the now. Do whatever you want, whenever you want to do it. They are trying to lead a cat of their lives. Constantly forced to react to circumstances, electric bills, barely get paid on time. They can host maybe one guest a year who isn't forced to do his or her own grocery shopping when they get there. Right? And, and your friends, I, and God love you, I, I, your friends try not to chuckle at you when you mention New Year's resolutions. Right? Yeah. Dogs like discipline. and Because of that, dogs can accomplish stuff in life in their short life of however many years dog years end up being, they lead Iditarod races. 
because they can be trained and led. They can learn to lead blind people through life. Right? They save Timmy's from the old wells. Right? That's what dogs can be trained to do. Now you might object, you know where I'm going with this. You might object, well, you can't be that stiff. God changes plants, he does the unexpected, you've got to leave room for the spontaneous. Right. Plants do need to change, but scripture is very clear you need to make plans. And you also might have said, well, discipline doesn't necessarily make someone's life better, and that's true. Right? You can be a very disciplined person, but very unhappy. But as all the great saints who have loved God and done much for him will tell you, discipline doesn't do anything, but it puts you in a position where something can be done. You know what I mean by that? There's a difference. Discipline doesn't do anything of itself. You read your Bible, nothing's going to happen in and of itself just by reading the Bible. But if you consistently do that, you start to change. And God starts to work through that because he has ordained these things, these disciplines, as the place to meet people and grow them. You might think, man, I'm going to do God's daily will. I'm going to be more joyful. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to thank God constantly. Well, you better have a plan, and you better lead that plan. So let's stop there today. Number one, make a plan for an always joy. Make and lead a plan for an always joy. Be joyful always, right? Paul tells us his will for us in Christ Jesus. Make and lead a plan for an always joy. You know what Paul so frequently talks about as a channel for joy? Fellowship. People. He says he gets joy from the love of a fellow brother in Christ. Philemon 1.7. I derive much joy from you, Philemon, and comfort from your love, my brother, because of the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Right? He, he gets joys of his travels, not because they're great to see new places or the adventures he has, but so he might see people. He tells the church in Rome, by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. He talks about people as his joy. Philippians 4.1, 1 Thessalonians 2.9. And did you know at the cross that Jesus was thinking about joy? Scripture says this. He was thinking about joy. You know why? Fellowship. That's what the author of Hebrews says. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Listen to this. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. The joy set before Jesus was to be reunited with the Father again. To be in fellowship in eternity and glory with the Father. That's what he was looking forward to on, on the other side of this cross and resurrection. I'll get to be with the Father again. Fellowship. How do you plan for fellowship where Jesus is truly the center? Do you plan to spend date nights with your spouse? Do you actually plan them with an aim that your, maybe your spouse might actually taste a little bit of the unconditional love of Jesus through that time together? Uh, do you plan for fellowship with other Christians? Or do you hope it happens by osmosis? Right, if I'm just around other Christians, you know, I'll become more joyful. I'm not going to forget some of the laughs, even this past Wednesday our community group shared, this past Wednesday night. We had real discussions about the Song of Solomon. And so those discussions were about life, love, and yes, even sex. Some of my community group members are looking at me like, don't share anything else, please. <laughs> I won't. Here's specific. But God is using this to produce in us a deep and abiding joy. And I know of another community group who has grown in fellowship to the point where they are all going on a trip together to Little Cayman. 
All right, now, when you book airline tickets together, uh, you know it's the joy of Jesus-centered fellowship. That didn't happen overnight, nor did it happen because they were just around other Christians, but they planned for fellowship, prepared their hearts, showed up, shared, and listened. Prepared for this. So make up and lead a plan for an always joy. Make and lead a plan for continuous prayer. I refer you back to a sermon I, I gave, I think, back in October on the practicals of prayer, but I'll just give a couple of these. Make a plan for a time and a place to prime the prayer pump. All right, but to begin each day, make an appointment in a private, non-distracting nook. If you don't make a time and a place, it ain't going to happen. And then also, use prayer triggers to keep prayer going. Whether it's the UPS guy or the guy who changes the water, you know, the flowers water, and you see him, make that your trigger for prayer. Every time I see him, I'm going to thank God for something. Or I'm going to pray for this person. Or make an internet password your trigger for prayer. You can actually make a prayer your internet password. How cool would that be? Like, thank Jesus. Thank Yahweh. Of course, now if you use that, I can hack into your account. But, uh, you know, you get the idea. Right? I mean, that would be a great way just to remember to pray. Every time you take a sip of water, you pray. Make and lead a plan for continuous prayer. Finally, make and lead a plan for all circumstances thanksgiving. Two directions Ron would go here. First, visit the cross each day. Visit the cross each day. We are built to be grateful for gratis, grace. And all grace to us flows through Jesus' saving work on the cross. So make five minutes a day to meditate on the cross of Christ. That may be, you may be visual. Consider Salvador Dali's Christ of St. John on the cross. Or perhaps you listen and sing to When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Or maybe you just take a nail you find on the ground, rub the tip of the nail as you consider your sins by Jesus' sacrifice as the nails pierced him. We also need perspective on circumstances which threaten to kill gratefulness on every corner, right? So you can be thankful for Jesus, but then there are these circumstances that want to kill thankfulness. So we need God's word because we need perspective. The major reason, a major reason God's word is here is for us to help make sense of and respond well to the circumstances and experiences of life. Right? So why is it that you do the things you hate the most? Right? The things you hate the most, you end up doing. Why is that? Romans 7 tells us. It tells us how to respond. Why do I like candy, sports, money, comfort, or sex, but they never quite satisfy me? Read Hebrews 11, you'll find out why. And how to respond. You can visit our resources page online, which will give you extra tools for making a reading plan and following through on it with accountability. Friends, get out in front and lead the daily life God has assigned you. And then the rest will start to make sense. Let's pray. Father, you have said that your will is simple for our daily lives. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you. Father, help us get that right. Because you've so dearly loved us, help us respond with making a plan to lead those things in our life. It's so tempting, Lord, to just assume those things will happen. 
Help us make a plan for it. Help us lead our lives. Give us the strength to do it. When we fail, Lord, we come to you, Jesus, at the cross for forgiveness. We start over again. That is the blessing we have in Jesus Christ. A chance for a clean slate to start over through trusting him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.